and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast that loves supporting leftist feminist media. Today we have Zoe, Helen, Julia, Hope, and Bianca. And today we're talking about a new leftist feminist magazine that is hitting the market called Lux, um, an ode to friend of the pod, Rosa Luxemburg. Uh, we're really excited about that this magazine is coming out. I remember at the 2018 Sochfem Convergence in Philly, Sarah Leonard, who's working on this project, um, came over to like the Season of the Bitch table and told us about it. And we immediately were like, oh my God, when it comes out, you like have to come on the podcast. So, um, well, Sarah's not here, but two other people from the project are here. So welcome, Cheryl and Natalie. Hi, happy to be here. Yeah, Hi. thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for being here. Didn't mean to introduce you as, like, not Sarah. <laughs> Equally exciting guests. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? She packs a punch. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, Legends of the left. Yeah, truly. So, yeah, if you want to introduce yourselves and explain how you became involved with the project. Yeah, so um, I'm Natalie. I use she, they pronouns. I got involved, uh, I think a lot of us got involved because of our involvement with NYC DSA Sochfem, um, involved in the reading groups, involved in doing some different writing on the left. Um, I've written mostly about queer stuff around the internet. Um, I really love print media. I really love like luxuriating with a glossy magazine. Um, I really like cutting things out of magazines and collaging with them and like putting them up on my wall. Like this is a thing I've been doing since I was a child. So I am excited that there's something that kind of reflects my politics now that's going to be out there in the world. And I hope you also cut up your issues of Lux and post them on the wall. Yeah, um, I'm Cheryl and I came into this project also. I'm, I'm a member of New York City DSA. Um, I was in the Socialist Feminist Working Group. Um, with uh, many of you. Uh, and I, I came into Lux um, very gratuitously uh, through another one of the editors, Marion, was like, you need to get in here. Something big is happening. Um, amazing project on the rise. Uh, and that was really exciting for me. I'm really happy to be part of a Lux team. It's been um, a crazy past few months uh, as as the pieces have been like finalized and this magazine really became uh, real. Um, I'm a real voracious like consumer of, of a lot of like media online. Um, I'm like a resident, very online person. Um, and it's crazy that there's not a bigger space for like socialist feminist media. So all these things that I'm consuming and, I, and I'm not like in a space that, that's really explicitly like feminist and explicitly socialist. And so that's what I'm really hoping that we're creating with Lux. Yeah, yeah that's all. Awesome. We have them both at the same time that often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was hoping that we could just dive right in and y'all could tell our listeners a little bit about what this magazine is, what it looks like um, in terms of both form and content, kind of what you're envisioning for it. So the form is... Um, talk about our inspirations. It, it's a bit cheeky. There's, like, it's a women's magazine sort of vibe, um, but then flip it on its head, you know, queer it, um, make it 
make it not so, I don't want to say all, all like these traditional women's magazines are vapid, but many of them are. Um, so like give it some heft, make it queer, uh, make it, make it fit for, for the, for the feminist who's not a girl boss. That's our thing. We were like, kill the girl boss. Like, let's get this vision of feminism up out of here. But let's get, let's get a different vision of feminism. In Love the house. Um, and, and so part of that is like, that's the like function of the magazine. And then I think the form really follows that. Um, so we've got really great design in the, in the print version already. Um, you can see some of this design aesthetic in our, in our website, which is very like lush. Pleasure is a big deal for us at, at Lux. Um, one thing to say is we want it all. So we're not envisioning a, a socialist feminist space that's um, minimalist or sparse or, or, or that says we have to be, to be serious, we have to be, um, we, have to, we have to be lacking in pleasure, uh, lacking in beauty. So that, that's definitely a big part of our aesthetic, pleasure and beauty. Yeah, I also would love to hear more about how you all put together the first issue specifically. Um, I was looking at just the preview that's up on the website and it seems like it's just really geographically diverse and has a mix of like more historical pieces and then very timely content. Um, how did you decide what should be in the first issue or how did you kind of go about putting it, it together? Yeah, I mean, I think we had some dream pieces that we really wanted to have. We had, you know, um, some of our fellow editors, Cora Courier and Sarah Leonard, have a lot of deep ties in leftist media and could reach out to people specifically that we knew would really add a variety of different perspectives. Because, you know, we say that, you know, the woman's magazine is a genre. And what we're trying to make in the world is something that is borrows from that genre, but isn't specifically just for cis women. It's not specifically for straight women, which I think that when we say that genre, that's really what kind of comes to mind. But we're trying to do something that all women, non-binary, genderqueer, um, queer people, dykes, all of us, you know, are going to see not just a little bit of themselves in it, but also learn a little bit more about other ways of being a feminist around, around the world, really. Like we have um, pieces that are focused on what feminists are doing in Mexico, in Egypt and Tunisia. Um, our next magazine uh, that is coming out in May, we're looking at a deep dive into Japanese feminist history. You know, there's a real need, I think, to see feminism as being international, global south. Um, oh, and we have a really cool translation of an Italian feminist abortion manifesto um, that, so we're trying to be like trans-historical, um, gender inclusive, international. So basically like all of the different vectors that we could go horizontal, vertical, you know, as we all learned in this pandemic, time is merely just a suggestion. So we're trying to, you know, if we, if we want it all, then why not encompass all of time and space as well? Yeah, I love that. Um... 
I also, like, similar to what Natalie was saying, just, like, have been always a fan of, like, magazines. I also love, like, vapid, horrible magazines. Um, but, like, in the same way that I spent the past week binge-watching 90 Day Fiancé. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Anyway, um, so I know, like, as I mentioned in the beginning, we had talked to Sarah about this, like, a couple of years ago. So this has been, like, kind of a long, like project in the making so I wanted to ask like what the process has been like actually like leading up to launching your first issue you know I'm really um impressed uh with our fearless leader um Sarah has really kept us on track a lot um I don't come from a background in having already had experience working in magazines um or um as an editor uh something I really like about Lux is that this is a space for for um, people, um, you know, especially women who who have not maybe previously had a space to, to explore, it's very hard to get into media um, when you don't have connections. And I've really loved that Lux has made that space on our team, made that space with writers, um, to, to bring in people who, like me, probably would not have been able to to be involved in a project like this. It's just really hard to get a foot in there. So I, I've really been learning a lot um, from my fellow editors uh, who are more experienced. And seeing this process come together, for me, I'm, I'm just, I'm super impressed with the Lux team. Uh, it's crazy to believe that I'm, I'm a part of it. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, meetings that have to happen, talking through, like, does this vibe work for us? Um, you know, what, what, what are we trying to go for? There's a lot of, uh, uh, of helping each other, maybe um, if there's editing, like when I need to, to reach out um, and get some help on on me being an, a new baby editor, <laughs> editing pieces, we're, we're there for each other like that. It's very collaborative. Um, there's a lot of touch points. We have multiple signal threads <laughs> to talk to each other about different things. We have a signal thread specifically just about tweets. Um, we have one specifically about like design. Uh, so there's a lot of collective collaboration here, like when we're looking at the layout for the magazine um, between the whole team, uh, giving input on, on what that might look like. Um, so we're all like very involved, I think, in the final product design. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's been, I'd say, a it's been just like a rocket ride from the summer till now uh, to, to having... Uh, a bunch of, of, of pieces that people pitched us, people that we reach out to to ask if they want to write something. Um, to where we are right now, where we're about to have this final like magazine is about to go be printed. It'll be hitting uh, people's mailboxes, I think, this weekend. Um, and so that come together really quickly. So there's a long time, I think, of like generating the idea of Lux. Um, Sarah talked to you about it in, in 2018. So definitely has been like a long project coming. And then in the last few months, there's been a lot of like very rapid, like getting these pieces closed, you know, getting our design language down, um, getting how we talk about Lux to people, like refining that has all, you know, especially coalesced happened with this team in the last few months. Um, so a, a lot of work has gone into it. I'm, I'm super impressed by all of the editorial team um, and everything that I've learned from them. Yeah, there's just been so much talking, so much processing, constant processing, lot, lots of collaboration. We, 
as in any socialist feminist space, there's lots of delegation, but there's also lots of chiming in all of the time. Um, and I think that also just like what Cheryl was saying about this not just being an NYC media echo chamber is really great. Like I've done some freelance pieces, um, like, you know, like a lot of people, I have the imposter syndrome of saying like, am I like a, a writer, writer? Like I have an academic background. So it's been nice that there's been a real effort to you know, get people on board who haven't just been like, you know, publishing together for a, a decade. Um, and also just like, you know, design and editorial writing, like everybody's sort of working together, everyone's throwing in together. And there's been a lot of talking about what our shared vision is. And it's also nice just to know that that vision can evolve and can have, you know, different, different directions. The more people come, on board. So it's just, it's just cool. And we're excited about it. You can tell. That's amazing. And it's so fun to hear. I am in thinking about this. Well, first, let me say that your slogan, it's sex with class is so fucking clever. And I'm so mad we didn't think of it first. I was like, Oh, man, that's genius. Um, I love that so much. Um, but like, so second of all, in, in just kind of like thinking about what it's like, y'all are undertaking it made me think about some of our processes and our internal conversations. And I think there are, you know, very true and very necessary critiques of white feminism that have been the center of a lot of recent conversations and especially online. And I know for me, sometimes as a content creator, I have a hard time knowing if it's enough to center intersectionality or if maybe like more atonement and like self-critique, because like our podcast has historically been a largely white group of um, people on the podcast. So like, I just didn't know if, I kind of waffle on that. So I wondered if that's something you all wrestle with at all. Um, I guess the question is kind of like, how much do we need to be explicitly calling out white feminism or is it enough to just be intersectional? Does that make sense? Yeah, I would say that we have, um, especially for first issue, I think we do about white feminism, um, such as, you know, white corporate feminism, this, this, this girl boss nonsense. Um, it's really for white women in a lot of ways, yeah. corporate feminism, girl boss feminism, white feminism, you know, mm -hmm. female department of defense uh, heads or whatever. I, I you kind know. Of, I mean, I like respectfully, I think I have to push back on that a little bit, though, because I do see it picked up in other communities, too. Like it kind of, you know, I like grew up some of the time in Atlanta and that like idea of the prosperity gospel and like black female CEOs and like, I'm going to get rich and that's going to make every other woman rich. Like you do see that in communities of color too. Certainly. Absolutely. Um, I grew up in the South as well and um, have gone to prosperity gospel churches um, <laughs> against my will, but <laughs> I was there. Um, Same. And Certainly, that that's true. I, I do see some of this as like the um, I see some of this as like marginalized groups being how they can escape marginalization as like a, a just buying into uh, this dominant narrative of of success of you know what is going to get me out of this space of um, yeah of oppression and it's frequently like let's go hard in on climbing that ladder <laughs> let's do it let's 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 invest in the game and win the game you know and i think what lux is really saying is we re we reject that entire frame
framing um, of playing this like girl boss game. Um, and I think it is rooted in, in whiteness. And, but I do think, you know, other non-white people, people of color um, can invest in that too. I mean, I would never say that only white people can invest in whiteness. I think people of color can also invest in white supremacy mm-hmm. and white supremacist systems like, you know, capitalism. Um, and there just hasn't been a lot of space made for, or people try to make this space, but it hasn't been like a lot of um, media space made uh, for a politic that does explicitly reject that. I, you know, we have Season of the Bitch. Um, we have Lux Magazine. Uh, there's not a lot of media spaces out here uh, that, that are pushing back and, and providing like a, an alternative to this, this sort of white supremacy, capitalist, like feminism. So, so yeah, I think we just, we really, it's really important to me um, that we make that space. And I remember a space that was almost this for me, like Jezebel. This, and it was like the only like online space <laughs> that was even approaching talking about like feminism um, or people were having some of the conversation wanted to have. And it was a space that couldn't even call itself like explicitly feminist. Remember for many years, I don't know if anyone was a, an avid reader of Jezebel like I was. Yep. Um, you know, so I'm like, let's let's go let's go beyond that let's let's call it out explicitly i do think we have to be explicit to say like this is what we're we're not we're not on the we're not in the same sphere of like feminism as uh as kamala stepping out you know woman vp black woman person of color you know vp um we're we're not on this continuum with them we're breaking completely with this this sort of vision of of female empowerment, quote unquote, um, mm-hmm. we're doing something else. And I think we have to like state that explicitly and Lux is stating explicitly and we have to live it. So we have to do, we have to do both. I think we have to talk about it. We gotta, we gotta be about it. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a really good point. Um, like with the lack of just like like-minded media, it's what you're saying with Jezebel. It's like, we will just like accept like a crumb of like close enough. Like guess this is all we're going to get. Um, but I had just like kind of a follow up to what Hope was asking, um, cause it's clear like in your content and the people working on the project, you are like being deliberate about being like very broad, um, in terms of like content, having things from like different places and different backgrounds and stuff like that. So I was wondering how you're kind of putting that into the marketing. Like, how are you making sure that the magazine is going to like reach like diverse audiences? You know, we've been doing a lot of different, we're pitching the magazine, like here, we were on Doug Henwood's podcast, we were on uh, the Antifada Twitch, but we're also, we've been trying to think about different places where we can get um, some free subscriptions into their hands. Um, And Cheryl, you can talk more about this too, but I think we like partnered with like Black and Pink um, to work with queer, trans, incarcerated people, we're trying to figure out, I mean, there's so many like kind of Byzantine rules about what can and cannot get into the hands of incarcerated people, but we're like trying to think of ways, like how can we actively get this in hands of not just um, the most avid media consumers? So 
that's one yeah. of that's like one of the material ways we're trying to do with this. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we reached out to Black and Pink. Um, I think there was a couple of other um, places we reached out to, trying to see like, hey, we have some subscriptions to give for free, and I think that's one way. I think another way is importantly, like someone like me, I, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a young black woman who doesn't have a background in media, um, and I have a network of other, you know, young black women I know uh, who don't have backgrounds in media um, who may want to be writers or who may want to read this kind of media. And I think some of this is like, it's truly relationship building. By having, by having me on the Lux team, uh, there's now entry points <laughs> for certain, um, you know, my friends, my network uh, that I can connect with. And I, I think that's a really underrated way of um, expanding a, a media's like reach. Um, that the people who work there that write for Lux that um, are involved in Lux should also be from many different places, many different backgrounds, because that, that these relationships that we each hold individually and our secondary relationships network-wise is what's going to help us get the, the, the word out about Lux, what's going to help bring people into like Lux family to be reading this like magazine, participating in the conversation. Um, so I think, you know, when people are talking about like inclusivity and media and stuff, um, it's not just about the fact that like you just try to have a black or brown face in the room. Um, it's also about the fact that people have relationships with each other. Like it's truly these relationships that these people are bringing, um, these networks that people are bringing. And that's why it's important for us to, I think, hold that space for people who were not already involved in the media world. Um, and, and to, to reach new writers, you know, bring them in. Um, yeah, that, that's, I think, one way to, to sort of expand who Lux is reaching, um, in addition to, like, these really, um, this, this deliberate outreach that we're doing to, to groups like Black and Pink saying, hey, I can get you down for prescription. Yeah, awesome. I think this flows well into something that I was thinking about as I was looking at your website. I just saw like in the header, the first two sentences are top-down efforts to convince us that the highest form of feminism is the girl boss have failed. No one believes today that we'll be saved by the female CEO or the presidential candidate. And I know you both already talked about this a little bit. I don't want to talk too much more about electoral politics because I don't know, personally, I'm a little tired of talking about it. And we probably know like the limits of electoral politics. But I think because of the recency of this event, when I was reading those two sentences, my mind immediately jumped to like the recent inauguration of Kamala Harris as the vice president and what that means and doesn't mean in terms of like feminism, representation, et cetera. And I feel like lately, like because of that, I've been having a lot of different conversations with people about like where the usefulness of that representation um, in politics and media begins and ends. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts about like the importance of representation in your coverage at Lux and also who's involved in it. You kind of already talked about this, Cheryl, but I guess I was wondering how you think, like how you think a representation in your domain at Lux sort of differs from what I think is more of this like surface level slash girl bossy understanding of what representation means. Well, you know, the phrase, or maybe you guys don't, but I'm going to introduce it if you don't know it. Um, all skin folk are not kin folk. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not just, you know, I, I am a black woman. It is that, you know, my politics must also center um, the liberation of black people. So, so you, 
everyone has an identity. We all have an identity. <laughs> but you also have to have a politics, right? Um, so I think we're, yeah, I think that's, that's like the difference, not relying on just like identity for like identity's sake. Um, we're also talking about a politic of liberation. So if your politic of liberation is not there, then, I mean, identity, who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a fake representation. Um, and so for someone like Kamala, I'm not saying Kamala is a black woman, Kamala is a South Asian woman. Um, does Kamala have a politic that is liberatory for South Asian women and black women? I don't think mm-hmm. so. You know, so this is why it's so, so empty and hollow. Um, and these victories are not, you know, the victory of Kamala in this VP section is not like a victory because what, what does that really mean for, for, um, for these identity groups that she's a part of? <laughs> it, it doesn't mean advancement. It doesn't mean liberation. Um, unless you consider being able to access, uh, power in service of the uh, capitalist state to be advancement. Yeah, I think that a major, you know, we talk about the girl boss because it's like, it's quick, it's easy, it's a good sound bite sort of thing. It's a good like headline for our website, but we have uh, an editorial that's coming out that we've spent a lot of time thinking through to it's going to try to like establish politics where we may hear that our problem with the girl boss beyond the capitalist critique of it is that we're not trying to forge an individualist politics that we are trying to actively think about like what would a form of like collective living be wherein we are responsible for one another where we all have enough where we embrace abundance and you know so it's not just about a critique of individuals that we find lacking like a Kamala. It's also about thinking about like, okay, who lost the most jobs recently in these COVID days? You know, um, women of color, low income women. What does that mean for feminism? What does that mean for a vision of a socialist feminist future where we have enough? What does that mean? So I think that part of what might fatigue us a little bit about electoral uh, politics, which is not, again, like you were saying, Bianca, like not to go into the merits of anything like that. Like, it's just about saying that individual figures are not going to really help us get a handle on collective struggle or to see how the collective struggle of someone um, fighting for abortion rights in, in Argentina might have to do with uh, uh, like, for instance, I'm just thinking of what's in our magazine, like abortion rights in Italy, you know, that these things are all interconnected. Our struggles are interconnected. We learn from one another. That's what we're really trying to be able. And this goes back to Hope's question a little bit too um, about um, intersectionality and Bianca's question about representation, which is like, we wanna show how these struggles are continuous historically and around the world and not just like, oh, here we've got a, uh, a Mexican article and here we have an Italian one and we're not trying to check off uh, continent boxes. We're trying to show that like, these are global and material struggles that we can learn from one another and engage with one another and to like kind of take heart a little bit too that people have come before us doing these same fights and we don't have to reinvent the activist wheel all the time. So yeah. Yeah, those are great, 
great answers to a very complex <laughs> set of questions. Good um, questions. Yeah, I'm glad that we're thinking about them. I feel like I'm going to have more answers for you in like 45 minutes, but so yeah. it is. Well, we can continue this conversation on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, so kind of a slight pivot, but I wanted to say that in um, in the preview for issue one, I love that you had an article talking about champagne socialism because I feel like this has come up on the pod a lot too. Um, and it comes up so often when we talk about women on the left. One of like with the Bernie meme going around with the mittens, the thing that annoys me is that if it just underscores, perpetuates this idea of like, oh, look, he's a socialist. He doesn't have really nice stuff. You know, like they're, they're so cute. Isn't that quaint? Um, and AOC gets unlimited amounts of shit when she wears nice, you know, nice suits. And so um, I just kind of was curious if either of you have ever struggled with wanting nice things and being a principal leftist and also kind of thinking about the magazine more. What does luxury mean to you? Because I know I struggle with that a lot. I wish Natalie's like, face during that question could be like portrayed <laughs> through the audio of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, like, you, I, like I most mean, of I, us are very strongly like pro pleasure. Pro mm-hmm. pleasure. Pro nice things. Pro nice wines. I mean, like, man, I. I saw a tweet recently that was, I forgot what the context was, but the caption was, if poor, why have things? Um, Which I think kind of sums it up. Like, we all want nice things. We all deserve nice things. We deserve things that are nicely made by people who care about their craft, that are paid well for it, that can sit down at work, that aren't physically endangered. I'm thinking mostly about fashion right now, but like that aren't physically endangered for like breathing in um, like fabrics and things like that, you know, and dust that like, that are nicely made that by people who care about them, like that's, that's, that's what we really want. We can have less crap if we can have some, some nice and beautiful things that make us feel happy and also connected to one another like at a material any materialist analysis needs to also like think about okay so you know one x yards of fabric is going to make this coat if we think about it in terms of like capital but you know also is it is it velvet is it what kind of a coat is it like who made it was it their vision I don't know. I could talk about this part all day. It's the like idea that I, I don't struggle with wanting nice things, mainly because um, I think if you've experienced a little struggle, um, it can go two ways. You can either feel really guilty when you get a little bit more, or you can be like me and you're just like, yes, I love it when I get more. It's fantastic. Um, I like, I mean, I, and I don't want to get more off of anyone else's back is, is the thing of, of why I, my, my politic must be, that, that's what I evaluate my pleasures. Are they, are they coming at the expense of like other people? Then, then no, those aren't real pleasures because we must all, our, our, you know, our happiness is intertwined. So if my pleasure is coming on the back of your misery, well, that's shit. Um, so I'm looking for how can we get pleasure in a world um, without uh, this human misery? That's what the rev is for, right? Like we're fighting to live, like I want a revolution so I can live well. Um, what's what's the point? I'm not I'm not I don't want a revolution because I love the conditions of like fighting. That sucks. Like I'm, frankly, it sucks, and I'm doing it because I got to. Because at the end of the road, I'm like somebody. It's not me. My my kids, my grandkids, 
my great-grandkids, my friends' kids, I don't know, whoever, somebody's going to live a damn pleasurable life. It may not be me. I hope it is me. I'm trying to live as much pleasure as I can in this life that I have. But, like, one day there's not going to be this this struggle. The, the struggle is so that we don't struggle anymore, so that we live well, and, and we can live well, all of us. Um, life is, is can be pleasurable. Life can be beautiful. Um, and we all deserve to have access to the pleasures and beauties of life. And it's a, it's a shame that we don't all have that right now when we could. But it's already there. The possibility of this world it exists. Uh, we just have to make it happen. So, so no, I don't, I don't really feel like, I don't, I don't feel guilty about the pleasures that I'm able to enjoy in life. I, I try to evaluate, like, what, yeah, those pleasures that are, are built off of misery and, and not do those things. But overall, I'm fighting for pleasure. I'm fighting for living well. That's what the fight is about. Yeah, I also think about how, like, historically in leftist spaces, like, any feminist issues were have been considered, like, bourgeois, like, talking about, like, yeah. sexual politics or, like, anything. So it's, like, if you're going to get called that no matter what, like, just, you know. Yeah, yeah. Lean in, baby. Lean in. Enjoy the pleasure. <laughs> As my great hero, Cheryl Sandberg, said. Are you guys, by the way, are you having, is she going to write something for Lux? Or? <laughs> right. Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> No, oh. I love this conversation. I, I was on a date recently and um, was talking, the, the woman that I was seeing, I guess, is like a little newer to leftism. And she was like, well, I I feel like I'm a socialist. I worry a little bit about like identifying as a socialist because sometimes I'm like, well, I just like nice stuff. And I'm like, no, come on in, girl. Like the water's <laughs> fine. It's great. But seriously, like that's the, like it's bread and roses too, you know? And I, I just love that, that y'all are embodying that in, in the first, um, the first mm-hmm. issue of, of Lux. They were like, well, we would well, have to wear a gray jumpsuit. And I'm like, if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gray jumpsuits are very popular right now. You're right. Like, actually, yes, you will, because that's the fashion. But <laughs> it's fashion, it looks good on everyone. But mm-hmm. also, you know, like, think about how much more pleasure and beauty we would have in our lives if we had, if we all had health care, if we had universal health care, yeah. if we didn't have student debt, if we weren't living over with, like, the threat of, like, eviction over our heads we didn't have such feelings of enforced scarcity what kind of abundance could we have you know how pretty you would be with eight hours of sleep a night and i know most people are not getting eight hours you have a job you have stress you wake up sweating in the middle of the night about bills like that's luxury like number one eight hours of sleep we would all be at least 10 percent prettier it also it doesn't always have to cost more. So my partner and I were just talking about this with regard to architecture because we live in an arts and crafts house, which like, you know, they're beautiful. They've got built-ins, but it was a movement grounded in socialism. Like William Morris, one of the main designers for that, went on to be an anarchist. The idea was you would have like prefab homes that would have all of this beauty built in to just like how they were designing them, right? The ideas were beautiful, but they wouldn't cost more for working people. So it was like a way of making beauty accessible to everyone. And I think we've lost about that for Lux. Do you? That's so cool. No, you should. Oh, I should. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I have a two-year-old, but maybe I'll see for more things. (laughs) (laughs) 
But yeah, you know, it made me think about how like the ideas don't cost anything. It doesn't cost more for someone to think about designing a better house than designing a shitty house, right? The ideas don't cost more. Mm, this is my favorite is that a lot of like ugly design, like things that are for the poor are just like intentionally designed shittily. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're intentionally designed because they're like, you're poor, so you must also be miserable. We're yeah. not like, we just spell like the garden, this plaza, this whatever look nice, but because of where it is, who's going to be used by, like, fuck it. Like, anti-homeless like architecture we're going to give you one tree in the plaza and you better be happy or you know the housing that are made it doesn't it doesn't cost significantly more to like have um nice looking flooring in, in a project housing or you know just doors that aren't made of cardboard any anything you know it i i was blown away when i found this out that a, a lot of architecture like a lot of a lot of um Real estate that's built doesn't need to be built in such a shitty way. They built for people of lower income, but it's, it's built this way because um, a pervasive idea that when you don't have money, you're not deserving of pleasure and beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask also because I know that you both do a lot of other organizing and political education work outside of this publication. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the other work on the left that you've been involved with recently and kind of how do you see left connecting with those other projects? So I've been doing, um, uh, doing too much, honestly. Um, someone said to me the other day, or didn't say it to me, they said it in a group chat and I took it personally because you know how you do in group chats. Um, <laughs> They were like capacity, like o- like over committing yourself and like stretching your capacities then is a very idea. It's like not revolutionary, like understanding your limits. You must do that. And I take that to heart. But um, I have been involved heavily in, in, a, in some abolitionist um, organizing um, and mutual aid stuff. A lot of this came out of the the pandemic and then the, the protests um, that were happening um, in the summer. And, and so I've gotten deeply involved with like the defund NYPD campaign um, that New York City DSA um, launched. Um, and I'm doing a lot of political education over there and uh, other stuff. Um, I also am involved in a group called Abolition Action, which is a smaller group that came out of a socialist feminist um, reading group. Um, and with that group, I have also been doing some poly ed, some community um, building, like we would have these calls. Uh, before the pandemic, we have the plot where people meet each other and then offer um, assistance on different things. Like, what do we have to offer? What can we, what do we need from each other? And Treadstorf continued that through the pandemic. And we also started a, a mutual aid fund. Um, and, I, and I think about all of these things. So some of that is already like connection um, with someone in black and pink, you know, for these, for these free subscriptions, for example. Um, we have a profile uh, that I, I wrote, um, a, a very short profile on a um, abolitionist organizer uh, in the in the magazine. But a lot of what my organizing work is helping me bring to Lux is a political point of view. I, I think to to keep myself honest, I have to keep organizing. You know, like Lux is Lux is a space for. For, I think pushing our, our political praxis um, and for me to feel really effective in doing that as like an editor on this team I think I, I do have to remain connected to my organizing um, it, it keeps me 
not just like floating out in the in the atmosphere. I don't ever want to be I don't ever want to be one of those people uh, that they're just like you know media personality Cheryl has an opinion on what the left should do. <laughs> Meanwhile, we ain't seen her in like five years out of media. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> We, we can all think of a couple of people like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that to be me. So I'm like, you know, got to keep a strong, like, organizing homes um, so that when I'm thinking of what kind of thesis should be in luck, you know, what are, what, are, what are the sort of writing we want to see? Like, what are the angles we're approaching this from? Like, I, I know there's a connection to, like, the organizing that's happening. Like, that I have that connection, that I have connections to other people who have these connections. Um, and I think it helps to find um, authentic voices, you know, remain, remain connected and grounded. Yeah, I mean, Cheryl does so much and so well, might I add. Um, I mean, I've just kind of been like a leftist foot soldier. That's what I've been doing. I used to be in more leadership positions. I'm an adjunct. Um, at Brooklyn College and at Columbia, and I am just exhausted all the time. And since I've been teaching in the pandemic, I, 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 I'm just up to here all the time. So I've just been trying to like do mutual aid things where I can, and like, you know, deliver groceries and you know, write Christmas cards for Black and Pink, and like do those kind of things. And I'm in a place where I'm like, I need to think a little bit about how I can use my time this year you know after the semester which has already started wraps up like how can I be a little bit more intentional and useful like I'm doing a reading group with our co-editor Marianne on Angela Davis that's going to start in February like political education is always like a really easy way for me to feel like free political education you know is always something for me to feel like I'm taking the skills and the knowledge I have and democratizing it but I just, I'm just so tired. Adjuncting as hell, get paid no money for it, no health insurance. So in the long term, I'm hoping to feel like I can find, like I was really, when I had a, a full-time job, it was a lot easier for me to like have DSA leadership and to do those things. But now I have to forge my path with that again. But it's, I think that Cheryl is absolutely right. Like you don't wanna not do the work and merely or talk or worse talk about the work well i work from home and have a toddler and i think you're both like amazing superheroes i'm listening to the things that you're working on and all of the things you have up in the air and it's incredible so you should not feel apologetic about any of that you feel like is coming up short right now look if my 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 boss or my uh pay job <laughs> listens to podcast you could be like hold on <laughs> why are you late you're doing what? <laughs> also if cheryl's boss is listening pay her more yeah mm. you know i would love that carmen um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, speaking of finances, I, I did want to ask also just like the past couple of years have been so rough for dependent media, um, especially in terms of work that's sustainable and that's able to like pay contributors um, and like very particularly when it comes to leftist work. 
Um, I'm just kind of curious what you both hope to see in like the media landscape going forward, especially in terms of kind of ownership models or distribution models. Um, and definitely feel free to talk about Lux specifically if you want to, but I'm also just curious more generally, like what kinds of media structures you're excited about in the future. Yeah, just to start with, um, we've been partnering with the Freelance Solidarity Project, which is part of the National Writers Union, of which I am a member. Um, and we are trying to make everything very transparent in terms of the money, who will get paid, like we're paying all of our writers, period. Um, I Until our lawyer says like, yes, publish this agreement and all of that, then I can like, talk about particulars and I look forward to that because I think there's really, as somebody who's done like a bit of freelancing, it's really nice to know we, you will get exactly this much if you do a feature, if you write a review, you will get paid this much per word and that's that. Um, and that will be possible on our website and you can see that quite clearly. Um, and you will be paid in this timely way, this is our, this is contractual and that's how it's gonna happen. So that's like, that's what we want to see across media, period. That there's no reason why every single publication can't have terms like that. That is just, a, you know, above the table, super clear, super accessible too. Because I think, and especially for, and this goes back to Cheryl's point earlier about people breaking into media, is that I think a lot of people don't know about, you know, that you might be able to negotiate a rate at some places. This is what happens when things aren't above, uh, can I think of the metaphor, above ground, over the table, whatever. Above the board? point is, is that a thing? <laughs> point is if it's not transparent what it ends up being a barrier for people who don't have the fanciest degree for people who don't have the money to have the New Yorker internship and the fancy degree to get the New Yorker internship you know like there's all these different barriers to getting published and knowing how the freelance world can can you know work against you in some ways so we're trying to have everything transparent and that's what we want other other media to kind of follow suit. And that's happening more and more. And I think that, you know, the Freelance Solidarity Project, that's like a big thing that they're, or we are working on trying to do. And I think that's gotta just be the, the future of media period, or it's gonna consume itself, die out. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of question marks on how can media like work be be something that people who make it can live off of. Um, so you know you can continue to dedicate you know time to creating this kind of space. Um, and and I think we don't have a lot of existing models for for how to make this happen in in a way that I'd feel good good about as like a socialist. Um, because this landscape right now is really scary. Uh, a lot of the, the I mean, we, we see, I was shocked that this New Yorkers like union, um, that people are being paid like 35, $40,000 at the New Yorker, um, insane, insanity. But this is like the landscape we're at, 
but a publication like that can be paying poverty wage rates for people, um, rates that are really hard to to like live um, well. And I'm going to say this: yes, you can live on thirty-five thousand dollars in New York City, but should should you? Um, I think no one should. Um, and I want us to to live in a, a better world than that. Um, but I don't think that there exists like a current like model of of what we we should be doing. And I think some of this will require a little bit of experimentation of like um, what sort of structure is it a cooperative owned like structure um, what sort of like money can we take like from advertisers what kind of advertisements you know would we do um, what sort of support otherwise are we getting like from um, subscribers you know like donate on a monthly basis or something I, I think there's just a space for experimentation in less media on how we we pay people um, how people get paid. But I do think from the start, of course, Lux is like, we have to pay the writers. Um, even if like the editorial team is like putting in some work that's, you know, not paid right now. Um, and, and we're not paid on um, the editorial team. But for the writers, people who are contributing to this project, we, we must pay them from the jump. And going forward, the rest of the structure is just got to be figured out as we go. So the, I don't have a good answer to it. It's, it's a question mark. We're, we it's a hard it's a hard space for left media who doesn't have all this money coming behind it um like a, like in mainstream media to to like make a living to keep this stuff going um to yeah really to really have something that's both radical in the content and and radical in our internal structure yeah absolutely as somebody who's been working on a like new publication in like radical history. Um, we've been working through these exact same questions and I would actually love to talk to y'all, you know, off this call about some of the ways that we've approached this um, because I think, you know, we've had the exact same conversations and came to the very same place, which is like, we can't not pay people for their labor and we're going to make this work um, partly by fundraising. Um, and that actually brings me to my next question. And I think our final question for today, which is how can our listeners support you all and um, your endeavors at Lux? Subscribe, subscribe. Um, if you go to our website.com, which is Lux, L-U-X dash magazine.com you'll you'll see it um introducing lux it's sex with class you'll see that we have links right up front to both subscribe and to donate like if you really got some some change uh just kind of uh burning a hole in your pocket if you want to donate we would love that um we have a couple of launch offers um we have uh quarantine Quarantine, um, like a little zine that we made up special for our very first issue. Um, we're also working on some, oh, and you can get a gift subscription too if you want to get one for someone else. Um, but we're also working on uh, some Lux merch. There have been rumors of a Lux bucket hat. Probably we'll go with a tote bag. But Cheryl, can you speak more to the bucket hat? Well, I like bucket hats, and um, we're going to have one. Um, what's it going to look like? I'm not sure yet. Uh, what will, you know, so I'm not the designer, uh, but I'd be all up in the business, uh, and I definitely will be about these bucket hats. So they're happening. 100% a bucket hat. Definitely a tote bag, because everybody loves tote bags. And hopefully some other stuff, too, you know. We're, we're still mm -hmm. trying to figure out 
um, like the design of items, because of course it's important that this is not made um, uh, with underpaid labor. Um, so we're trying to make sure that even when we're we're making merch and stuff, that this is being done in a way that is is our politics. Yeah, getting them union made. Trying, we got to find a union made bucket hat. If that's you, dear listener, reach out to us. Yeah, you make know. bucket hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm waiting for the Lux champagne flute and like Lux candle so I can take my staff. Oh my oh, God, Lux Hope. Candle. Lux <laughs> champagne right. flute. I'm really into it. Lux candle. Can you imagine sending your, your like mom like a Yankee candle, but it's like a Lux candle? I'm saying. <laughs> I love like, that revolution. idea. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we want to make a, a champagne uh, candle or something like that. All right, we're on it. We're thinking of it. We're going to have luxury merch. <laughs> this is like SpongeBob meme. Write that down. Write that down. Um, I don't yeah. know if everyone yeah, yeah, yeah. into memes like me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Write that down. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll definitely um, link to the website in the description. So, um, yeah, everyone go subscribe. Um, and keep checking back for bucket hats. I, I mean, like, I hope they drop by the summer, but whenever <laughs> they drop, I'm going to get one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. This was really fun and also gave us some good things to think about going forward. So thank you for your thoughtful questions. Yes, thank you so much. Um, this was really great. It's really fun talking to you. That was our show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, once you're done giving your money to Lux, if you have some leftover, <laughs> you can send some of it to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. We have a reading group that's happening. We're switching over to some radical fiction. We're going to be reading some Ursula Le Guin, um, some Octavia Butler. So come join us. Um, and probably some other things. You can also visit our website, seasonofthebee.com. Check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a nice rating or review if you feel like it. Um, Only if you have nice things to say, of course. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Season of the Bee. And if you feel like it, you can email us at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. That's everything. Bye, y'all. Love you. Love you. Bye. the bitch.